I first actually heard Jonathan speak about, about five years ago, actually at a conference in, at Bethlehem in Minnesota. And what really struck uh, me about Jonathan is his love for the church. Um, and that's kind of, in, in many ways, one of his great loves and studies um, in regards to the local church. But um, he, he's not, to my understanding, he's not a, a paid pastor at his local church, but he's an elder. And it's something that he has a great passion for to see the church led by godly qualified leadership. And so um, he has a, a great amount of wisdom around these areas. And so this morning, he's going to uh, bring us the word. And so would you just uh, join me in welcoming uh, Jonathan Lehman to the stage? Good morning, friends. Good to sort of see you all. I uh, bring you greetings from <clears throat> Chevrolet Baptist Church. Chevrolet is just outside of the District of Columbia on the Maryland side. My wife and I live there with our four daughters and have been there since the late 90s. I went to D.C. because I love politics. I was interested in politics. Um, but... Do you know where I was born? Did I tell you where I was born, Chris? I was born in Covina. Is there there's still like a hospital in Covina? What's the name of it? Anybody in here born in Intercommunity Hospital? Okay, we got a little club here. All right? Born in the same hospital. Way back in 1973. All right? Um, so driving into the area, it's like, this place feels a little familiar. Kind of, I left when I was five, moved up to Eugene, Oregon. But you got the kind of hazy memories of those first five years in this area for me. So it's, it was fun to even, last night it was dark, but driving around this morning, I'm like, this feels weird, you know? Uh, like I said, I moved to DC because I was interested in uh, politics and be began my career there after graduate school in journalism. But... During that time, first of all, the Lord saved me, and second of all, he called me to the ministry. And I found that my journalism career of writing turned into a writing career and teaching career, especially about the church, as Brother Stephen was saying. That's what I talk and think about and write about it a lot. And that's what I want to think about with you this morning. But... Let me start like this. Let's start not with the church. Let's start with heaven. What do you all think of heaven? Now, when I was a little kid, one of my favorite cartoons was Tom and Jerry. You guys remember Tom and Jerry, right? The cat chasing the mouse. And every once in a while, Tom would die. And he would take that escalator up, right? Do you remember? And he'd go to heaven which was like this cloud and harps and kind of the stereotypical ideas. I wonder if that is what your view of heaven is. Place you go and you die in a cloud, that sort of thing. Well, interesting in scripture, more often than not, heaven refers to the place that God rules, dwells and rules. Psalm 2, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. You know, it's interesting, at different points of the Bible story, what we find are these points of overlap between heaven and earth. So in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve are 
walking with God, it's as it were, that's an access point. The garden is an access point between heaven and earth because God is dwelling there with Adam and Eve. It, it, it's, it's an overlap. It's a, it's a convergence of heaven and earth. And then if we fast forward in the biblical timeline to the tabernacle, the tabernacle becomes kind of an access point, a point of convergence between heaven and earth. Sure enough, the author of Hebrews says in chapter 8, the tabernacle offered a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. And of course, finally, when we get to the end of the Bible, we know that the heavenly city of Jerusalem will come down and God will dwell with man again, heaven and earth converging together. What about today? What about right now? Where do you find heaven? Is there an access point? Is there a place of convergence? Well, in answering that question, which we're going to do from Matthew's gospel, we're going to discover that the church is that access point. The gathered church is that point of convergence. To unpack that, I have eight points. All right, eight points. Here we go. Point one. One of the central questions at stake in Matthew's gospel is, who on earth represents heaven? Now, if you guys are note takers, but if you are, point one, a central question at stake in Matthew's gospel is, who on earth represents heaven? Let me, let me share a few examples. You can just listen, jot down the references if you want. Uh, chapter three, verse two, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's coming. Well, who belongs to it? Chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And apparently their lives can provoke praise in heaven. Chapter 5, verse 16, Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Because somehow they're bringing heaven now. Chapter 6, verse 10, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In chapter 6, verse 19, don't store up your treasures on earth, but right, right now, store them up in heaven. And of course, Matthew famously closes with Jesus saying, it's all merged in him. All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me, right? Heaven belongs to God. It's where he rules, but that is somehow coming now, and we see it most perfectly in the person of Christ. The word heaven shows up in Matthew's gospel, listen to this, 75 times. It is a major theme in Matthew's gospel. You should read through the whole book this afternoon. It'll take you two hours. I promise that'll be a more productive use of time than anything else you might be doing, and circle the word heaven every time. It's fascinating. So if Heaven represents where God dwells and where he rules. Earth belongs to, well, who? Chapter 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took him up on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. Heaven belongs to God. Earth belongs to, in a temporary, given sort of way to the evil one. 
So if, if Satan possesses and in some sense rules the kingdoms of this world, it makes sense that Matthew's gospel is preoccupied with the question, okay, okay where do we go to hear from heaven? Who, who represents heaven? This is a crucial question, right? Isn't, isn't this the question that you, 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 you study in your religion classes? The Pope, a priest, the Dalai Lama? Who? Uh, the questions that we study in our philosophy classes. Okay, okay, who speaks for truth? Is it Aristotle? Is it Plato? Is it Hobbes? Locke? Who, who speaks for heaven? Or maybe it's the poets. Homer. Shakespeare. Are they, are they the one pointing us to true and eternal beauty? Of, of course, most people today is like, yeah, yeah, nobody speaks for heaven. No, nobody, nobody can speak true truth. You got, you got nut jobs, you got cult leaders, and that's, that's about it, right? I mean, truth is relative after all. We know that, right? Or if you're a little bit more spiritual, you might say, well, you, you look inside of yourself. You, you, feel, you find God speaking to you inside or in a walk with nature, you know, the transcendentalist, commune with God and nature in your heart. And Is that where we find heaven, looking inward? One of the central questions at stake in Matthew's gospel is who on planet earth represents heaven? Point two, Jesus represents heaven. You knew that one was coming, right? Just give that one away right at the beginning. Chapter three, Matthew, behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. So a voice from heaven affirms Jesus, says, listen to him. He speaks for me, right? And then, of course, Matthew's gospel ends with all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. We have a convergence in the person of Jesus. Okay, Jesus represents heaven. Anybody else? Point three. The local church. Foothills Church. You guys represent heaven as an embassy of Christ's kingdom. If you have Bibles, turn to Matthew 16. We're going to camp out a little bit longer in Matthew 16 and 18. Matthew 16, or flip on your phones, whatever. Verse 13, Jesus says to the disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? He looked there at verse 15. He, he asked them a second time, who do, okay, who do you guys say that I am? Je Jesus seems interested in a, a what and a who. What's the right confession of who I am and, and who of you know it? Simon Peter answers, presumably on behalf of the apostles. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus then affirms Peter's answer, but he does so on behalf of the Father in heaven. That's right, my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And then Jesus says this, look at verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom in heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Okay, so what's, what's, what's going on here? No, notice Jesus is going to build his, his church on this rock. What's the rock? Well, it's, it's, it's a confessor confessing the right confession. It's not just Peter. It's not just a confession. It's Peter who's confessed the right confession. It's a confessor confessing the right confession. But then he gives them these keys to build the church. What, what do these keys do? Where they bind and loose? They don't open and shut. Bind and loose. What's binding and loosing? That's kind of strange language. Well, a little background here. It's, it's a rabbinic way of talking about interpreting Moses' law 
and then applying Moses' law in a declarative judgment. So, so what exactly does Moses teach about divorce? When can a man divorce his wife? And they'd debate that. The rabbis would debate that. And okay, now we have an actual couple in front of us and we'd render a judgment based on that interpretation. So you have a, a what, what's the right understanding, and a who, again. Okay, who, can, can these people actually get divorced? Likewise, Peter and the apostles holding the keys of the kingdom or to listen to a what? Is, is that a right confession of who Jesus is? A gospel what? And then to render a judgment. That's right. That's a true confessor. Right confession, right confessor. So what are the keys to bind and loose? Or the, they're the authority to render judgment on behalf of heaven over the right gospel what and the right gospel who? Confessions and confessors. It's an access point. It's a point of convergence. We are here speaking for heaven, rendering heaven's actual judgments. Now, in Matthew 16, we see Peter, and by extension, the apostles holding the key. Does anybody else? Turn to Matthew 18. Turn to Matthew 18. And Jesus puts the keys into the hands of the church, it appears. So if you look at verses 15 and 16, you see there's this dispute where you confront a brother, he doesn't listen, you bring two or three others along, he still doesn't listen. And so then verse 17, look, it says, tell it to the ecclesia, the church, the assembly. And if he refuses even to listen to the ecclesia, the assembly, the church, let him be to you as an outsider, as a, a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you, this time it's plural, whatever y'all, in the Greek, whatever y'all bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever y'all loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There they are again, the, the, those keys that we just heard about. The local church, my church, Chevrolet Baptist Church, your church, Foothills Church, has heaven's authority to make public declarations on the what of the gospel and the who of the gospel. That, that's right. That's, that's a true confession. That, that, that's right. She is a true confessor. It holds the keys. It represents heaven. Heaven and earth converge in the gathered local church. It's an access point. And where do we do this? Well, we do this in, in preaching, Right? When, when, when your preacher stands up here and he, he preaches and he says, church, this is the gospel that we believe in, it binds you. This, this, it's this gospel that's being preached from the pulpit which binds you together as a congregation. There's a difference, in fact, between you sharing the gospel with somebody at work, say on Tuesday, and let's say you say, you know, God, man, Christ, response. And you, you say those words, that's the gospel. You're coming with scripture's authority. But when you gather as a church and the preacher preaches, the exact same words, God, man, Christ, response, comes with scripture's authority, yes, but it comes with a public public gathering. This is the gospel that makes us a church authority. That's the what of the gospel. And then the who of the gospel will win. Well, through baptize and the Lord's Supper. We baptize them into the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Right? Give them the Jesus name tag. Give them the, the Jesus jersey. He's with Jesus. She's with Jesus. You see? And then once baptized into his name, what, what, what do we do? Well, Back to chapter 18, verse 20, we gather in his name. Where two or three are gathered 
in my name. So we exercise the keys over the what of the gospel, the who of the gospels, confessions, confessors through preaching and through the ordinances as we affirm one another as believers. I want to make sure, friends, you guys get this. The key holding local church, you have heaven's authority not to make a Christian no more than a judge actually makes a person, you know, metaphysically, as it were, guilty or not guilty. What, what does a judge do? A judge says guilty, not guilty, and then the whole legal system acts. Doesn't actually make the person what the person is, but he, he interprets the law and renders judgment on the law, and that, that judgment, guilty, not guilty, binds, or the person's loosed from that judgment. In the same way, Jesus, right here in Matthew 16, Matthew 18, is giving the gathered church heaven's authority to render judgments on earth before the nations. O nations of the earth, you who we sang about are raging. This is the true gospel. These are gospel confessors. Let me use another analogy. It's like my visit to the American embassy in Brussels, Belgium, when my passport expired. I... I walked into the embassy that day. I handed him my passport. You know, the guy at the desk took it and he looked at his computer and in pretty short order, he gave me back a new passport. Did the embassy in Brussels, Belgium make me a citizen? Well, no, as you know, I was born in Covina, California. I was a citizen by birth, right? But did the embassy have an authority that I, though a U.S. individual citizen, do not have? Yes. And so it is with the local church. Friends, the local church is an embassy for the kingdom of God on planet Earth. It's an access point. It's a, it's a point of conversion. Heaven comes to Earth in a foreshadowy sort of way here. It's amazing. You don't got to get in the escalator and go up because Jesus has come down the escalator and he's united us to himself. And he's given us his spirit and he's called us to gather, right? Now, if you, if you come visit me in Washington, D.C. and you decide to do a little sightseeing, you might go down Embassy Row. You heard of that? On Mass Avenue, you walk along. Oh, there's the Japanese Embassy. There's the Finnish Embassy. There's the British Embassy. Got a little red phone booth thing going on. and it, It's a lot of fun, right? And what do you see in each one of these embassies? Well, you see the flag flying out front. You, you see a military officer kind of standing out front. If you were to go inside, you would hear the accent of the nation, start to experience the culture of the nation. If you go to an embassy dinner, you would taste food grown on the soil of that nation. If you, were, if you were to sneak into the back offices, I wouldn't recommend you do that and go through the file drawers. What would you find? You'd find the diplomatic business of the nation representing that nation. What is the local church? It's where the flag of heaven flies and baptism and the supper. It's where you should hear the accent language of heaven. I forgive you, brother. I, I forgive you, sister. It's where we experience the culture of heaven. Love, patience, peace, gentleness, kindness, self-control. We taste the food of heaven and the supper. The local church Foothills Church represents, is an outpost, is an embassy for the kingdom of heaven on this dark landscape, this dark Satan still has some possession of power here. 
world that you live within. Brothers and sisters, isn't this remarkable? God has chosen Brother Bob, Sister Sue, Deacon Darnell, down at Bugs Elbow Baptist to speak with more authority on behalf of heaven than the U.S. Supreme Court, the United Nations, Harvard, Yale, Princeton philosophy departments, Congress. Isn't that just like God, though? Using the lowly things of the world, the despised things, the things that are not, the below-the-radar screen things, the things that nobody notices, to shame the wise, the strong, to confound them in their wisdom. Friends, do you give praise to God for the local church? Or is it a once-a-week chore? Okay, now i got to do this. Show up. The local church is God's outpost on planet Earth. It is his embassy. A couple of implications follow. That's my longest point. Here's, here's, here's the first implication. Point four. We don't join churches. We submit to them. I submitted myself to the U.S. Embassy in Belgium. It's an act of citizenship. And, and Christians must join churches. You, you don't just read your Bible like, yeah, I think I know who Jesus is. Nations of the earth, I'm baptizing myself. I speak for Jesus. You know what you get with that? You get a lot of cult leaders when you do that. Rather, what happens in the New Testament? Well, what must we do to be saved? They asked Peter in Acts chapter 2. Repent and be baptized, he says. Show yourself to the church in Jerusalem. Let them affirm your profession, your, your credentials. Right? What, what then is church some of us call it membership. You guys would call it covenant. Partnership, what is it? Well, it's a declaration of citizenship in, in Christ's kingdom. It's a, it's a passport, right? It's a church's way of affirming your profession of faith and overseeing your discipleship as you submit to that affirmation and that oversight. So, so what is church discipline then? Well, church discipline is a series of corrections in which I, I, I might say, brother or sister, you... You claim to represent heaven and King Jesus, but you're living like the world. That doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. You're, 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 you're doing false advertising here. And of course, in the final step, it's removal from partnership in, membership in the church. D discipline and membership are the two sides of the same coin as we see Jesus pointing out right here in Matthew 18. Which means more generally, friends, our discipleship to Christ, our following after Jesus, works together with inside of the accountability structures of the local church. Do you see? Let me, let me give you an illustration of that. It's, it's Tuesday night. A couple of young men in the church who I'm discipling are over at our, our family dinner table. One comes from a home with an abusive father. One comes from a home with an absent father. They, they don't know, they're, they're Christians now. We've been preaching to them. Okay, God, godly fathers are like this. And you're kind of giving the outline on the board, right? But it's as they sit there in my home and they, they watch me respond to my wife and respond to my children that that outline sort of gets colored in. Now, why would they look to me? Well, because I'm a baptized Lord's Supper receiving member of Cheverly Baptist Church. I, I, I wear, when the church brought me in, gave me the Jesus name tag and put, put the Jesus jersey on me. He, he's with Jesus. You want to know what Jesus is like? Look 
here. Now suppose they watched me be abusive towards my wife or my children. What would happen then? Again, more false advertising. The two young would be like, oh, okay. So Christian dads are basically like the non-Christian dads we grew up with. Why would I want to be a part of that? Unless the church comes along and corrects me, eventually even disciplines me. No, no, Jonathan. Christian dads, Christian husbands are not like worldly dads. They're not perfect. But we're fighting sin together. So, so do you see how these, this affirmation, oversight, accountability structures works together with daily discipleship? It's our membership or our partnership in a local church that makes our whole week speak of Jesus. I'm going to say that again. It's your membership in or your partnership with a local. Not just like, yeah, I'm a part of the universal church, you know, kind of all Christians everywhere. I feel real good about them. That's like saying, yeah, I'm righteous. Are you pursuing Righteousness. Just tell me you're righteous. Are you pursuing righteousness? I'm a part of the church. Okay, really? I, an actual group of people who step on your toes and are kind of annoying at times and frustrate you? Do you practice loving and forgiving them? Do you make yourself accountable to them? And it's doing that that makes your whole week speak of Jesus. Puts you to work of an ambassador. That brings us to point five. Church membership is an office, a job. Okay, remember how I said, I walked up to the counter at the embassy and he, he looked at my pa pa passport. Well, you start there, but, but then in the church, you actually walk around the counter and you start wor working, participating in the work of the embassy. There, there, there's a number of things in the New Testament we could look to to kind of fill out what this job description looks like. You know, I think of Romans 12, show family affection to one another with brotherly love, outdo one another in showing honor, share with the saints and their needs, pursue hospitality. Let, let me just draw two lessons out of that Matthew 16, 18 complex we looked at before by looking at the life of the early church. Two, two job descriptions for, for all of you. If, 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 you're, if you're covenant partners here, two things you're responsible to do. Number one, protect the gospel. The what? The confession. You as a baptized, ordinary covenant partner with this church are responsible for protecting and preserving the gospel's ministry in this church. This is your job, friends. We don't want you to be lazy Think, think of how in Galatians 1, Paul is amazed. I say, I'm amazed that you're turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. I'm telling you, even if an apostle from heaven, or an apostle or an angel from heaven gives to you a different gospel, let him be anathema, says Paul. Let him be accursed. Right? I don't care. He comes down on wings. I'm an angel. If it's a different gospel, churches in Galatia, he's not talking to the elders, churches in Galatia, put him out. Friends, do you realize, those of you who are covenant partners and those of you who are considering, do you realize... Part of your job is protecting the gospel ministry in this place. Do you realize that means you need to know the gospel? What, what's the relationship between faith and deeds? What, what does it mean we're justified by faith alone? Can, 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 can a guy say he's a Christian but live with his girlfriend? What, is that, what does that say about the gospel? Can a Christian be a racist? What does that say about the gospel? Do you realize it's your job? And the elder's work is to equip you to do your jobs in guarding the gospel, Ephesians 4. Number one. Number two, protect your fellow gospel citizens. Again, think of the early church, Corinthians 1, 5. 
uh, another church discipline situation. Paul says, is it not those inside the church whom you are to, listen to this, judge? You're not talking about going around being all judgy. That's not what he's talking about. He's just saying collectively when you are assembled, if somebody is living in a way that's entirely contrary, unrepentantly, you, you are to exercise judgment, church. He says very clearly. So you're protecting your gospel citizens. So if, if you're understanding in church involvement is like, yeah, I show up for 90 minutes on Sunday and then I'm kind of gone rest of the week, you can't be doing your job. To be doing the job of affirming gospel citizens, you got, you got to get to know and to be known. You got to have those encouraging conversations and those awkward conversations where you're confessing sin or maybe correcting a brother or encouraging a sister. You're, you're linking arms. That is the Christian life. That is how Jesus means us to follow him. And that brings us to point six. Point six, to do your job, you must attend. You must gather. Now, if you're sick or occasionally traveling or you have a six-month military tour overseas or you're a high-risk senior saying, I, I can understand why you might come for a, a season. We, we would call these providential hindrances. You've been providentially hindrance, hindered. Okay, well, those are very real. You know, I, I, I get it. But I hope you want to come. I hope you mean to be there. I want to leave a little rock in your shoe if you can't come. I don't want you to feel guilty. But I do want to leave a little rock in your shoe. Like, ah, oh, I want to be there. Because if you don't want to be there, there's something not right. Like if you can't come to work because you're sick, well, then you're sick. Don't feel guilty. But you know you got to get back to work, right? Here's the little rock in your shoe. Not gathering with the church is spiritually bad for you. Not gathering with the church is spiritually bad for you. Listen to Hebrews 10. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Even then, some were making a habit, a habit of not meeting together. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day's drawing near. It's quite a threat. You don't want to get you fired from your job for not showing up. Well, why do we gather? Four reasons. We gather for four reasons. One, for the spiritual good of others. You're not here just as a consumer. You're working to, what does it say? Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. You're here to stir them up, others up. When you walked in this morning, did you look around the room and think to yourself, who's somebody I don't know? Is there, is there somebody here for the first time I can, I can greet? Is there, is there somebody who I know has had a tough week? I, I can stir her up. I can stir him up to love and good deeds. Is that what you were thinking? When this, when this ends, are you going to quickly go to your car and you're gone? You're going to linger for a minute. minute. Who, who, who can I greet? Maybe invite somebody to lunch afterwards with you. So one, for the spiritual good of others. Two, for the, your own spiritual good. You need to be stirred. I need to be stirred up to love and good deeds. Praise God that we can download Christian truths, but the Christian life is more than just an information transfer. When church is only online, we can't feel, experience, witness those truths becoming enfleshed in the people around us. Maybe you've been struggling all week with hidden hatred towards a brother. 
But then you show up and you take the Lord's Supper and your heart warms toward him. You, you realize, I need to confess before I take the supper. Maybe you've been angry at a sister all week and then you, then you look across the room and you see her singing the same songs of praise as you're singing and you're like, that's my sister. You struggle with anxiety over what's happening politically in the nation. And then, and then you sit there and the preacher says, Jesus is going to win. And your people around you say, amen. And you're like, I'm not alone. I got brothers and sisters with me, allied in hope. Jesus is going to win. You're, you're, you're tempted to keep some struggle hidden in the dark and then a couple, older couple invites you over for lunch afterwards and they say to you, so how are you doing? You're like, oh yeah, I'm good. And they're like, no, 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 no. How are you doing really? And you're like, okay. Actually, I'm not good. We gather for others' sake. We gather for our own sake. We gather for the good of non-Christians. 1 Corinthians 14, if all prophesy and an unbeliever, an outside enter, he is convicted by all. He is account, called to account by all. The secrets of his heart. The unbeliever walking in here, the, the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God really is among you. For the non-Christian to come into the assembly is like, as Mark Dever puts it, throwing paint on the invisible man. Oh. Okay. I guess I am pretty sinful. I guess God, Christ does forgive. For others, for ourselves, for non-Christians, and then finally, of course, for Christ, which brings us back to Matthew 18, verse 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Is he talking about the small group or the elders meeting? No, he's talking about the place where the keys are wielded in, in the preaching and the celebrating of the ordinances. He's talking about the gathered church. The gathered church is where he is. What does that mean? Does that mean he's like hovering in here like a mystical fog? No, it means the gathered church represents him speaks for him. I'm their God. They are my people. Friends, Jesus set Christianity up this way around the gathering. He wanted us to gather physically. God has made us physical, not virtual creatures. Adam and Eve were physically with him in the garden, right? That access point, the tabernacle, the people gathered physically in the new heavens and the earth with the resurrected Jesus. Physically, we will be with him. He intends for the local church to be a physical gathering. Hebrews 12, 22, you have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly, Jer I've come to the heavenly Jerusalem, it says, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. Heaven and earth converging in the assembly. Point seven. Church membership or partnership is for who? It's for repentant and baptized sinners. Church membership or partnership, covenant partnership, is for repentant and baptized sinners. You might, you might be wondering, okay, Jonathan, you, you kind of, seems like you set the bar pretty high I'm, coming in and I'm going to do all this stuff. Is this like for mature Christians that you're talking about here? Well, let's look at who Jesus says is fit for partnership, fit for membership. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. 
whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. These are the people the church is to receive, the poor in spirit, those who acknowledge Christ, those who humble themselves like a little child. Christianity, and therefore church membership or church partnership, is not for the strong. It's for those who have tried and failed. It's for the college student who went off to college with high school student, goes off to college with certain moral ideals and squandered them. It's for the young mother who read all the books on how to be a good mom and try to be the perfect mom, but then ah, she screamed at her kids again. Now she hates herself. It's for the retiree who gets to the end of his life and he's looking back on his career and he's like, I did it all for me. It was selfish ambition all the way. Christianity and therefore church membership or partnership is for people who have reached the end of themselves. Matthew 9, Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. For I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. The heavenly Father has chosen to represent himself unbelievably on planet Earth, not with the morally perfect, but with the morally broken. And this is the heart of Christianity, right? We were created for good. We did bad. We earned God's righteous wrath. And yet, the Son of God came. Lived the life you and I should have lived perfectly. Went to the cross, died on the cross as a substitute, taking the wrath we deserve on himself to the point of death. Paying the ransom, paying the debt that we deserve, rose again, canceling sin and death's claim on us so that all of us who are poor in spirit, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, I'm not righteous, I'm hungering for righteousness, and follow after him, can be cleansed can be forgiven and follow the Savior and King. If you have questions about that, if you're visiting, I'd love to talk to you about it afterwards or, or any of the Christians in this room would love to talk to you about that. And that brings us to point eight. Churches offer the first fruits of heaven, not the full feast. Churches, yours, mine, offers the full first fruits of heaven, not the full feast. Think, okay, Jesus gave the keys to Peter, right? And a little bit later would... What did he do? He said, you're going to deny me, Peter. Churches get it wrong. Church members are going to sin against you. You're going to sin against others. Churches even participate sometimes tragically in grave injustices. Churches sometimes aren't a picture of the elevator going up, but an elevator actually going down somewhere else. Your church is going to disappoint you, friends. It will not live up to your expectations so even as I'm using all this highfalutin language, embassy of heaven, it's going to disappoint you. You know that. Not long ago, my wife and I did carry out from an Italian restaurant. We got bruschetta as an appetizer. I love bruschetta, right? You get the toasted bread. You got the, you got the, uh, the, the tomatoes, little diced up tomatoes soaked in, in um, uh, balsamic and 
basil on it. And you, you, you with me? Good, right? But then, even better, comes the entree. Chicken Parmesan. I love chicken Parmesan. It's the only thing I ever order at an Italian restaurant. I know I should branch out, but who cares? <laughs> right? I love the chicken Parmesan. What is church now? It's the bruschetta. It's not the chicken Parmesan. And you're thinking, what kind of weird analogy is that? <laughs> I thought it was an embassy. Now it's bruschetta. I think you understand what I'm saying, though. It's the first fruits. It's the appetizer. We await the full feast. So, okay, the church lets you down. People let you down. That guy's a jerk. The pastors are, let's just say they're not Jesus. Really, God? Embassy of heaven? Is that what this is? The Lord answers, come. Yes, it's an embassy. It's, it's not the heavenly country itself. It's just an appetizer. You need to wait. I'm doing good work in your heart. I'm cultivating a longing and a patience and a perverse, perseverance in your heart. But I also have others who I want to come in. So yeah, here's, here's a taste. The better country is coming so friends, we gather as embassies. We go out as ambassadors. Think of the spiritual darkness of the landscape that you live in, that I live in. You have an opportunity to be an outpost of heaven. Here. Not amazing. Praise God for that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we confess that we do not love your church as Christ did, dying for her. We confess that we take it too lightly. We confess that we do not care for her, nourish her. We care for, we confess that we are selfish. We, we come as consumers. We don't go as ambassadors. Forgive us. Thank you for the blood of Christ, which cleanses us from all sin. And help us now to love our churches better, more. Help us, help Foothills Church, help Chevrolet Baptist Church to be an embassy of light. So the nations may see and know that you are God. In Christ's name, amen.